0: about hacking executive leadership. Emily Sander, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, John.
0: It is a pleasure to be with you. I'm super excited to have a nice conversation with you about your book, Hacking Executive Leadership. It's going to be a lot of fun to unpack that and to explore the different components of that. As we get started, I wanted to share Emily's bio with everybody. Emily Sander is a C-suite executive and founder of The Next Level Coaching. As an ICF certified coach, she guides clients towards new perspectives that enable them to adapt and evolve as leaders. She is the author of the book, Hacking Executive Leadership. And I could go on and on and on about your experience, your background, but I'll I'll turn it over to you, give you a chance to share anything else about yourself that you would like to, listeners to know about your background or personal context.
1: Certainly. Well, I started my career, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, so... I started my career in little little companies like Microsoft and Amazon. I was actually the first one of the testers for the first version of the Kindle device. So that was fun early on and to see that progress. And then I worked through a series of small to medium businesses and rapid growth phases. And that's where I cut my teeth into leadership, led teams, uh, scaled teams globally, worked my way up into executive leadership and now serve as chief of staff uh, for a digital marketing agency. And I'm also an executive leadership coach, as you mentioned. So I have that practice going on as well.
0: Very cool. So you stay very busy and are doing lots of really cool work. So that's fantastic. And I failed to mention at the beginning, I believe, but you're joining us today from Florida. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And uh, yeah, this is going to be a great conversation. And I I do some work in the coaching space as well, uh, which is super fun and rewarding and finding ways to tie in. Um, scholarly research with professional practice and helping others figure out how to be more effective and impactful in the work that they do. Uh, That's a passion that I hold. And so I'm I'm super excited to, to learn more about how you approach this in your work. So as we get started, why don't you tell us, give us kind of the foundation for this book, the why behind the book. Why now? Why this book? Why this topic?
1: Sure. So the short answer is COVID. Um, I always had a book in the back of my mind as a one-day activity, and then COVID hit, lockdown was was scary and serious, and then it was boring, and so I decided to do something productive with my time, so I, I took the time to make a book. And so Hacking Executive Leadership is a combination of my 15... Plus years in the business world and my personal experience there, combined with my coaching and the uh, cl- discussions I've had with clients and the lessons I've learned there. And it's a culmination of all those things. And I've been told I've gotten feedback. It's an easy to read, straightforward book, and it's a fun read. So a lot of leadership books can be dry and uh, academic. And this one is practical and tactical and has good frameworks and concepts people can apply right away. And you can read it on. A long plane ride. You mentioned I'm in Florida. I have family in Seattle, so when I go back on that flight for six hours, I can knock down a, a quick book. So that's hacking executive leadership, and and hopefully it helps people.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. And I, I just want to note the importance of having content out there that is accessible and digestible by the the average leader, right? And so you have a lot of really good work that's out there, but it's it's really academic. And I say that as an academic, you know, I'm a professor. <laughs> I do a lot of academic research, scholarly journals, that sort of stuff. I've done books that are very academic and um, you know, that has, it has its role. It serves its purpose, sure. but in terms of, you know, getting the water to the end of the row and like actually having impact in the world of work and in business, we, we need stuff that's, that's more easily uh, uh, understandable and uh, applicable, right. To, to, to just everyone who's practicing all of this and trying to just be better. And, and so this has been a focus of mine in recent years, really over the last three or four years, you know, I've, I've, I still do my academic work, but I've tried to pivot a bit and, and do more scholar practitioner work where I translate the scholarly work into more practitioner oriented kind of style. And some of my recent books, you know, are the same. Like I, I try to make them very, um, digestible, uh, with key points it's still well-researched, but it's, it's easy to get through. It's easy to, to figure out and to see yourself in it and to apply the principles. And I know that's what you do in your book. And, And I think there's just a huge, huge need for that. Um, we often, and it's a false dichotomy, but there's often either stuff that's so dry and dense academic stuff or stuff that's kind of just fluffy, um, you know, whatever the trend of the day is stuff. And both of those, you know, serve a certain purpose, but, but I like to, to try to shoot for somewhere in the middle <laughs> where we can have research-based right. evidence-based work. Um, that also tells a compelling story that also, uh, will really help people take a good, hard look at themselves and, and, and see how they can make improvements. So uh, again, I applaud you for your work and, and for this book. Um, and I also can relate to the COVID comment, Uh, I think probably many of us can over the last two years. I think many of us have, have uh, tried new things just due to the fact that we were in lockdown. We were bored. We, we had time. uh, And, and certainly uh, I have had some of that experience myself. And in fact, this pod, this very podcast is an Ah. an outcome of COVID um, because I just wanted to, I I miss the interactions. I miss the conversations with people where I wasn't traveling as you know, anymore. And, uh, and it's been Uh, super rewarding. So again, thank you for joining me. Now let's start to unpack the book. Like what are some of those key components uh, and elements that you would like to highlight for me and my listeners today?
1: Sure. So the book is full of frameworks. And so I'll I'll tell the, the concept. There's visuals in the book. I'm a visual learner, but I'll try to describe them. So the first one is three circles. And you can picture three circles in a horizontal line. They're a math equation. It's an easy one. Circle one plus circle two equals circle three. And this framework helps you make decisions and helps you define your favorable outcome. So the example that I like to give is, uh, let me explain how the framework works. So circle one is an external event that lands in your lap or comes across your desk in your inbox. And this can be something like you're at a team meeting. And you're leaving the team meeting and all of a sudden, you know Joe over here decides to get angry and have an outburst and start yelling and derailing the meeting. So that's your external event in circle one. And so you actually skip to the end of circle three. And circle three is your desired outcome. What do I want to have happen in this situation? So you skip to circle three and say, what do I want to have happen here? And let's say circle three in this case is I want to acknowledge Joe and maybe pull out some kernels of truth of what he's saying, but get people refocused and realigned and back on topic in this meeting. And then you do a reverse engineer step to circle two. And that is where you come in. So what do I need to say? What do I need to not say? What do I need to do or not do? How do I need to show up, et cetera, to try to get myself and this team to circle three. And so it could be something like, Joe, I hear you. I know that project's really important to you. You've brought that up several times. We actually have that on the meeting agenda for today. Uh, It takes budget allocation and we wanna talk about that and make sure it's gonna work for everyone. But I hear you, it's important to all of us. And we're gonna get to that in the back half of this meeting. And that's what you do externally. Now, internally, you could feel like, shouting at Joe, like, Joe, like we've talked about this 12 times. This budget isn't your call, buddy. Like, Hey, come on. But this, the uh, three circles framework helps you build out. Okay. What just happened? What do I want to have happen? An important step. And then what do I need to do, say in circle two, to make that happen?
0: Yeah. I like that simple framework. It's super effective. And in fact, I've been coaching uh, someone uh, just just over the last week who, who's dealing with a, a really challenging internal organizational issue, and that simple framework. I, I haven't used that explicitly because that that's not a, you know explicitly how I, I've you know framed up in my own thinking. But as you're describing that, I'm like, oh, that's basically what I'm doing uh, with him to try to help walk him through, uh, you know, what the desired outcome is in the most impactful way to get to that desired outcome um, because he, his, his inclination is to try to steamroll his way to mm-hmm. an outcome, which will almost guarantee that he can't get to that outcome. Uh, and so, you know, there's some ego there. There's some, just some arrogance and some, some uh, stubbornness, you know, that, that he needs to be able to let go of. And and it ultimately doesn't really matter whether, you know, he's right or not, what matters is the effectiveness of, you know, being able to accomplish what you want to accomplish and to get done what you want to get done. And, and so that means you got to finesse the situation. You got to deal with the relationships and, you know, just calling people out in a public setting often, almost always is not the best way to do that. Right.
1: As a leader, people take their cues from you and you are managing to an outcome and a result. So absolutely. And just one other quick note on that. You can use that three circles proactively as well. So I gave a a reactive in the moment situation. Let's say you're going into a team meeting and maybe a whole bunch of change is happening in the market or in your industry uh, or company. And you say, okay, external event, I have a team meeting coming up. What is my favorable outcome? I want people to calm down and get focused and help their teams get focused. And so, okay, I need to lay out the information that I know and let people know and be explicit about, here's the things we need to focus on. I know there's a lot of distractions. I know there's a lot of unknowns, but here's the things that we can control. And here's the things we need to focus on and let our teams know that they need to focus on. So another example.
0: Check out my new book, The Future Leader, Creating and Transforming Next-Gen Organizations. Stemming from two decades of professional experience and over 600 in-depth interviews with executives, thought leaders, and scholars from across the globe, The Future Leader will help you explore the ordinary, everyday actions that will help you to prepare to lead in the future of work, to respond to an uncertain future, and to produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. other key frameworks that you would like
1: to highlight? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's uh, the failure loop, which people like a lot. So failure has a very negative connotation in our, in our world. So you're a failure or you failed at something. That's not something you typically want to go for. Um, in the book, I have a diagram, but I'll explain it really quickly to your listeners. It's a chain of loops. So individual loops connected in a chain and it goes up and to the right. And that's the direction of progress. However, in one part of an individual loop it goes back down into the left and that's the opposite direction of progress and so this is a great framework for thinking about failure in a different way so taking the traditional sense of failure and throwing that out and saying i can change a quote-unquote failure event into progress by using this and so how it works is you uh, mess up at a presentation it doesn't go the way you want it to or a decision you made doesn't result in the thing you wanted to have happen. You go, oh my goodness, I'm so embarrassed. I have to admit to myself and my friends that I I have egg on my face and kind of fell down in front of everyone. That's the failure event. That's when you're going back down into the left on the individual loop. It feels crappy. In that moment, it's the gut punch. It doesn't feel good. And you can stop there and declare yourself a failure and drown in your pools of pessimism. Or you can take the learning and lesson from that and apply it going forward. And when you do that, you propel yourself to the next individual loop. So you propel yourself up and to the right and therefore you've just made progress. And if you think about the definition of learning and growing and improving, it is this process. And so if you take this framework and number one, just know where you are in the process, that can be helpful by itself, Hey, it feels real crappy here, but I know where I am in the process that helps alleviate it. And then step two is, okay, let me dig in and say, what could I have done differently? Or what is something I can try differently next time and actually do that? And you've just grown and improved. And this becomes a mark of a successful person instead of being a mark of quote unquote failure
0: Yeah. I love that. And it should be an ongoing process, right? So I like, yes. I like, you know, diagrams and conceptions of this process where we see it, you know, I, I, I often think of it as kind of this upward trending spiral, right? Hopefully if we're going in the right direction, but as you mentioned, it, it can go the other way too, depending on how we think about learning and growth and experimentation and iteration and, and all of those things. Um, and so, you know, fostering a climate of continuous learning, uh, with growth mindset, abundance mindset, and, and focusing in your team on, on innovation culture, creativity culture, all those sorts of things, you know, that that's going to go a long way. And just having simple frameworks like this to help kind of diagram out how, what that process looks like, where you're at in that process is super important. And I know it's not directly related to what you were just saying, but I couldn't help, but think I I've done a, a decent amount of work just looking at, cause I, cause I do some academic work and some teaching in at the university in, um, ethical decision-making in the workplace. And, and so there's, uh, there, there's different moral and ethical, um, there there's theories and frameworks of moral and ethical develop development, cognitive development. And, uh, a lot of people will go through transitions that are really just part of the process. It's part of the stage and everyone you know, pretty much goes through it. Yet when you're going through it, it kind of rocks your world. It, it's super uncomfortable. Um, you're dealing with a lot of dissonance. Um, a lot of times people want to just kind of go back to what's known and what's comfortable and what they're used to and, in helping people to recognize, no, this is actually a natural part of progression. This is where you're at. It kind of sucks. This is where you're going. It's going to be better. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, th- that, that's really helpful. And so know, I think about that in these other theories and these other frameworks, I think it relates well to what you're talking about. And the bottom line is, um, you know, we're all, we're all going through that lifelong journey, hopefully of lifelong learning and growth and development. And if, if we ever stagnate, you know, and we just feel like we've arrived, that's, that's the, a recipe for failure, right?
1: Right. I mean, If you want to be safe and comfortable your whole life, you can do that. You just don't do anything. You don't put yourself out there. You don't try anything new, but if you want to continue to be on your growth edge, which is one step outside of your comfort zone, not miles ahead, don't sprint out in front because you'll get snapped back like a rubber band. But if you take one step outside, it'll feel a little uncomfortable and you might not do something perfectly because it might be your first time doing something new. But again, if you get to become friends with that feeling, and say, Oh, yep, this is this is my old friend. And I know where I am in the process, and you use it and and move up the chain of loops. And you do that your entire life, you are going to be a very successful person, you're going to be putting yourself out there, you're going to be trying new things being innovative, growing as a leader growing your connections with with others. And so I think I think you're right, people stop because it feels bad. And I get it, because sometimes it's like oof. I got to sit down, I got to take a break, take a breather, but then let me get back up again and and put myself out there.
0: Yeah. And there's no problem with, with taking a break and taking a breather and resetting and recalibrating. And especially if you have a big life disappointment or huge disruption, like, you know, practice self-care, like there, there, there's a time and a place for all that. But what you're saying is we're not going to get stuck in it. We're not going to ruminate in it endlessly. We're not going to get complacent and just say, ah, I'm in a good place. You know? Uh, and, and honestly, you know, I'm I'm early 40s, and I've had a you know a fair amount of success in, in my career, and I probably could kind of just coast for the next 25 years into retirement and have a pretty you know meaningful and success what people would deem a successful life, uh, work life, and everything, and that. While I even while I say that though that sounds so incredibly boring,
1: <laughs> not in you, yeah, I can see it. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, I just I'm like, oh, that that just makes me sad, <laughs> and not you know everyone's different. I get that, and 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 so we're not suggesting everyone has to be like on this rocket ship trajectory of uh, and be like uber ambitious and all that. Like I'm not suggesting that at all. But yeah, don't get comfortable and don't get too comfortable, too complacent. Let's let's push ourselves to grow and learn, and that may not mean the next rung up in the organization at work that may mean you want to pick up a new hobby try a new language travel the world and experience new cultures like there's a lot of different ways this could play out but but ultimately you just want to make sure that you're you're not stagnant
1: absolutely i think that's so important what you said too is apply common sense apply judgment if you're at one point in your career or life you know i've i've had clients who um, have young children and, you know, they're, they're doing it on their own. And so their priorities have to be different. And so what their goals are and what their priorities are, are appropriately different for, for them. And then when they move into a different stage, they have another set of goals and aspirations. That's perfectly fine. And I, the things you mentioned, like traveling, learning a new language, to me, that's not stagnating. It's expanding your horizons and, and learning from different areas of your life. So um, I think your point is well taken. You know, take care of yourself. That's not selfish and um, apply what is a reasonable pace for yourself.
0: Yeah. And I'll also just note before we go on to the next framework, that creativity and innovation happens as we start to connect disparate areas, right? So sometimes someone comes up with a brand new transformational idea that's completely mind-blowing, completely changing our paradigm around the world. That does happen. But most of the time, innovation is actually just taking two existing things that, you know, two or more existing things and find, you know, seeing it in a new way where you can combine and and, uh, have these things complement each other to create some new cool product or service or something that's going to better the lives of people around you. And what better way to do that than to have a robust and healthy life where we have different elements of our life. So we're not siloed. We're not stuck into one narrow perspective, but we can see a whole variety of things. And then we can start to make those mental connections in in new and creative ways that maybe no one's ever you know thought of before. That's innovation. And, and so much of, of the really cool stuff that comes out of organizations or that individuals do in their lives comes through that cross-pollinization of, of disparate ideas in different domains that get brought together. And then all of a sudden you, you realize, oh, that's really cool. We can do something cool with that.
1: Absolutely. I love that, which is a perfect segue into the next framework, which is called swizzle. Um, that's a word I actually made up, but it is a way of being resourceful and being creative and problem solving in different ways. And so the example I love to give here is when I was listening to a podcast with Floyd Mayweather, who's a champion boxer, And I know nothing about boxing, you don't want to see me box anyone anytime, but they were interviewing him saying, hey, what makes you the best? Is it your training? Is it your diet? Is it your footwork or how quick your hands are? And they were pressing him and he eventually said, no, it's my adaptability. I can adapt to any opponent, any round and any punch better than anyone else. And that's what makes me the champion. And I heard that and a light bulb went off. And again, I know nothing about boxing, but I said, I can apply that to my world in business and to my team meetings and my interactions with people and how I'm communicating with different individuals and being adaptable. Um, And we can take that at the macro level to the market fluctuations and our industry and the the politics going on in in our company. And so that's a great example of what you were talking about, which is exactly right pulling from all areas of life and cross-pollinating and just opening your mind up to that creative problem-solving and innovation.
0: Very, very cool. And I like the word too. Uh, That's, (laughs) it's a lot of fun. Well, excellent. Emily, we've really just scratched the surface of your book, but there's so much great stuff there. And I really do encourage listeners to check it out. Before we wrap up our conversation for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, where they can find your book, and then give us the final word on the topic for today.
1: Certainly. The book Hacking Executive Leadership is on Amazon. There's an audible version. There's a Kindle version, uh, whatever you prefer. It's wherever books are sold, Hacking Executive Leadership. And if you want to find out more about me or get some free downloads, you can go to my website, which is nextlevel.coach. So nextlevel, all one word, .coach, and you have some great information there. And um, the thing I'd leave you with or your listeners with is incremental progress is a lifelong journey and small wins add up faster than you think.
0: I love it. I love it. Wonderful, Emily. Thank you so much for joining me. Again, I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Emily and her team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.